Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you are listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Since 2008, Big Think has been capturing bright ideas on video from some of the smartest people in the world. On Think Again, we revisit these ideas. It's a total surprise. My guest and I have no idea in advance which interviews we'll be talking about. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. Wendy Suzuki, a neuroscientist and author of the new book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life, a personal program to activate your brain and do everything better. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you. So do you think podcasts where people surprise you with random topics are likely to lead to a healthier brain or happier life? I think definitely, definitely (laughs) much happier. Okay, Wendy, the producers have picked two short clips for us to watch and discuss. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Jonathan, what do you got for us? Okay, today we have Dan Ariely. He is a a behavioral economist out of Duke University with very interesting views about how uh, your decisions in today's society can actually kill you. So I hope you guys have a good conversation about this one. Okay. (laughs) There was this very sad analysis that looked at the question of what is the percentage of human mortality that is either aided by or caused by bad decisions, right? How often do we make a bad decision that either accelerates or kills us? And when you look at these results about 100 years ago, you say it's less than 10%. Think 100 years ago, how could you make a bad decision that would kill you? Not that easy, but you know, you could do it from time to time. Now it's more than 40%. How come? What has changed? Technology. Over time, we've invented technology that can kill us. So of course, texting and driving is very clear smoking, diabetes, obesity, some of those are single mistakes that can kill us, like texting and driving, but some of those, like obesity, diabetes, and smoking, are a series of mistakes that can kill us. And each of them is not that big, but together they accumulate. So what happened is that the world around us is designed to tempt us. Think about the environment that we're in. What is it about? Is it about our long-term health? Or is it about the short-term profits of that environment? Dunkin' Donuts. 
What is their optimization function? Are they trying to get you to be healthy in 20 years or to buy another donut now? Your cell phone, what is it trying to do? To get you to be a productive citizen uh, in two years or to check your phone a couple of more times today? So what happens is that we are in an environment that tempts us all the time. These temptations are only increasing and because of that we fail. We fail, we fail often and because of that it reduces dramatically our ability to do th things like save and eat well, take care of our health and therefore our total well-being is going down dramatically as well. What do you think about that? When do you think that, first of all, our total well-being is going down dramatically, that it's the result of new technologies? I agree with a lot of what he said. Definitely, if you just look at obesity rates alone, clearly that we're in terrible state relative to 100 years ago. And I agree that there's lots of negative temptations around. Dunkin' Donuts, he mentioned, which I have been personally, you know, <laughs> tempted by myself. But the other thing that I was thinking about when he was talking is there's also positive temptations. The gym, for example. Right. Um, all of the all of the juice bars and healthy organic kind of foods that are now becoming more available right. are counterexamples of positive habits, positive temptations that are also out there. That's right. I was thinking while he was talking that it's interesting that if indeed our bad decisions are in the rate of our bad decision making mm -hmm. and the deadliness of our bad decision making is yeah. increasing, that we are at the same time becoming more and more aware of our own cognitive blind spots. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of the results of that is that you have these counterexamples, yes. these reactions in the form of technologies that help us break bad habits right, right. and more effective gyms yes. that fit in with our busy lifestyles right, or, right. or whatever. And even small things. So I have been just shocked at how many people I see wearing the Fitbit. Right. And relative to a gym membership, it's really, really cheap. And it really keeps you accountable for how many steps you do and, and whether you're increasing or decreasing. And I feel that that part of technology is something that's really helpful. All the new, um, I, I met with a company that's producing kind of like a Fitbit, but um, like a high fashion Fitbit. They've already been in okay. vogue. And going back to what he was saying, like a high fashion Fitbit is an interesting merging of those two tendencies, yes. right? The company wants to, on the one hand, its goal is to make you more healthy mm -hmm. or help you become more healthy through self-monitoring. Yeah. On the other hand, it's also trying to tap into your desire for a, a fancy new product. Right. And so, I don't know, if we're addicting ourselves to multiple fancy new products, each one designed to help us break these bad habits, yeah. but at the same time preying on our need for new cool yeah. stuff, like where do we end up in the balance? Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I would say a, a counter example to, to that is all of the books and online tools to help you get happy. Right. Happiness project, you sure. know, 10 ways to be happy right now. And, and a lot of the message is simplify. Don't don't read Vogue. Don't look at the right, ads. Right, right, you know? right, right. Don't don't get tempted by the Fitbit. Just walk. Right. I think it'll be interesting to see over time. You know, as researchers like Ariely and yourself measure whether, on balance, 
like where we end up. You know,、yeah. are we happier? Does it all sort of neutralize itself? Yeah. You know, yeah. in terms of these new,、uh, on the one hand, the new temptations,、uh-huh. and on the other hand, the new tools. Yeah. You know, where I, we don't know the numbers yet. It's, yeah. It's, it's early days. I. You know, the yeah. other thing that I thought about when he was talking is about motivation. Right. And. It doesn't take much to motivate somebody to to want a donut because they're just so good. Right. And and so the something that I think about is how do I motivate people for things that might not be as immediately gratifying as a donut.、Um, exercise、right. is one. I'm a teacher. I'm teach at New York University. I spend my life motivating students to. Understand. Come take this journey with me, and you have to get through it. But you you have、That's、this、really、you know world to to understand. But I need you to come with me. How do I motivate that? And in fact, I was inspired by you know the amazing fitness instructors in New York because there are certain classes that I go to that I leave the class and I'm like I cannot wait to get back to the next class, and I motivate myself. I ask, well, do my NYU students think the same when they leave my classroom? Right. And The answer was no, but I I really tried to start implementing things. What motivation can I give them in that situation to bring them back to class? And you were teaching. I was teaching a new class that I developed called "Can Exercise Change Your Brain?" Right. And this was at a point where I wanted to learn the exercise literature, and the best、I、way、see. to do that is to teach a new class. And I then I decided, well, the only reason I'm teaching the class is because I loved exercise so much. I thought. Why don't I bring exercise into the classroom? And to make a long story short, I ended up having to get an exercise fitness certification so that I could teach the students myself. And、okay. so it was an hour of aerobic exercise followed by a discussion about what exercise was doing to their brain. Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And you know, so I guess that's a good thing. Like taking the the sort of principles of what motivates. And in a sense, what addicts people yeah, to things, yeah, yeah, applying them to, to positive yes, things. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes about video games and and children. Yeah,、um, yeah. The thing about video games is that they provide a certain amount of challenge,、mm-hmm. but. Fairly immediate reward feedback、yes. loop as well,、yeah. which is not necessarily something you get if you're trying to read, you know, the complete works of Immanuel Kant.、Right. You know, <laughs> so I wonder about that, and I wonder about whether you know those things that a whether everything can be transformed in the way、right. that you're describing,、yeah. and b do those things that cannot be transformed thus simply fall by the wayside. That's a great <laughs> question, and I think that. There are things that can transform almost anything. I mean, think of Richard Feynman and how he was able to explain such difficult concepts in physics、right. in a simple, engaging way. Because he made it relevant, he made it relevant to the Challenger disaster. And it's all about making things relevant. That's actually what I did. I made the neurobiology of exercise relevant because they were sweating and they were feeling these things. Maybe you could make. Existentialism relevant. I might be reaching there by taking everyone to a mountain top <laughs>、yes, and, and staring、yeah. silently at the sea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Or something that makes perfect sense. That there there must be ways to help people find their connections、yeah. to almost almost yeah. anything. Yeah. That's just good teaching. Right. right? Exactly. Okay. You ready for another one? Yes. Okay. Cool. What's up next, Aaron? Hey guys. So today I have a video by. Ariana Huffington, and it's about the third woman's revolution. Enjoy. Women internalize stress differently, 
So we now have these scientific findings that show that women in stressful jobs have a 40% greater risk of heart disease and a 60% greater risk of diabetes. So women, in a way, have no choice but to redefine success and the way we work. And uh, that's why I believe that um, this is, in a way, the third women's revolution. You know, the first one was giving us the vote. The second, giving us access to all jobs and the top of every profession. And the third one is uh, women saying, we don't want just to be at the top of the world. We want to change the world because the way the world has been designed by men is not working. It's not working for women. It's not working for men either. I really believe that as women lead the way into transforming it, men are going to be incredibly grateful. And of course, there are many amazing men who are also at the forefront of these changes. CEOs uh, bringing a lot of stress reduction practices into their companies and then measuring the impact on the bottom line and uh, on productivity, individual um, leaders um, in business, in media, in politics who are willing to, to come out, not as being gay, but as being meditators. So there's a big global shift already happening, but I believe that more and more women uh, participating in it will accelerate uh, this uh, much needed uh, transformation. So that was very interesting, especially in light of the fact that as we're recording this, Wendy, I believe yesterday, Nobel laureate scientist Tim Hunt yeah. resigned amid a scandal in which he said something like that women scientists are crybabies. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, a good reason for a revolution, and I totally agree with that that need and I've already come out of the closet as a meditator so so I'm I'm definitely with Ariana there in fact I, I talk about in in my book the important role that meditation has had in kind of my own transformation it's propelled me forward in a way that I hadn't expected relative okay. to my mode before which was kind of the traditional scientist mode of work all the time. Just work. That's all you need to do is work. It's very simple. Right. You just work. And I totally followed that typical scientist, typical male kind of role until I hit a wall. I hit the wall when I got tenure, which I thought was going to be, you know, the bells were going to ring and the, the heavens were going to open up. And I really, nothing really happened. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I got, you know, a little change of one word in my title and I looked around and I had no friends and I, I only knew people in my lab and I was 20 pounds overweight. And that's when I said, okay, I need to figure this out. And my stress levels were also very, very high because right. I had no outlets except more work. And that's when I ended up going to the gym. I didn't know how to change the fact I didn't have any friends, but I didn't know how to lose weight. So I went to the gym. I'm from California anyway, so I knew right. how to do that. And I eventually lost a weight. It took, you know, a year and a half, but it, um, it changed the way that I approached my work because it decreased my stress levels. And it actually made me happier. And I talk about in the book 
all the neuroscience that we know about what exercise is doing to your brain chemicals that make that happen. It's a physiological function. It's not just a psychological thing that, you know, people just kind of feel happier. Right. This is a physiological function. I want to step back, if we can, from exercise for a second to yeah. meditation. Yeah. Because I think it's really interesting to think about that kind of balance between doing and not doing, right? Mm. I mean, you're obviously somebody who has worked hard to achieve things yeah. in, in her life. And, you know, you had achieved tenure and you, you had a strong objective measures mm -hmm. of success yes. in your life. Right. Um, and I'll come out of the closet, by the way, uh -huh. too. I, too, am a meditator. <laughs> All right. Or I meditate, anyway. Absolutely. So what was it like for you spending time in yeah. your day yeah. doing nothing, as right. it were? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of worked my way up to doing nothing. First, I went to the gym, which right. for scientists is like, you're not doing anything, you're not working, right? If you're not doing science, you're doing nothing. And so I found that by spending those extra, whatever, four to six hours a week, that's a lot of time each week at the gym, I was more productive at work. That was the major, one of the major revelations. I had better attention, I had better memory, my, my mood was better. And then when I slacked off for whatever reason, I wasn't in such a good mood. And I feel the same exact benefit from meditation. You feel better, you feel calmer, you feel, there's certainly um, improvements in attention and being able to not necessarily focus, but perhaps see the important thing that you should focus on a little bit better. Yeah, that, that's that been my experience as well. I guess it depends on your personality type and yeah. how anxious and yeah. high strung you are. Yeah. But if you are somewhat anxious and high strung, mm -hmm. uh, naturally, I think that pre-meditation, the tendency is to run around putting out fires yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the time. For me, it was not so much putting out fires, but all the worry that I did all the time. And that was really hard in meditation because the tendency is you get quiet, you think, oh, I have to do this, 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 I start worrying. <laughs> right. But that was the work. Can I really sit and, and not think about that? And once I got good at that, even for 30 seconds, then I could build up that muscle. And that helped me because I am a worrier. I was a worrier. I'm much less of a worrier now. Cool. And, you know, something that's been important for me to hear as I've been learning how to meditate that I would add as a caveat for nervous beginning meditators yeah. also is that if you sit down to meditate and you're like, oh, my God, I have to, I forgot to call that guy. I need to email that yeah. person, whatever. That's okay. Yeah. You're allowed to think <laughs> those things yeah. and just sort of let them kind of yeah. pass and yeah. be somewhat charitable toward mm -hmm. your own yeah. crazy worrying mind. I totally agree. That's it's very important early on to you're not going to become a monk in the next five minutes. <laughs> right. And we don't want to scare anyone. There's no danger, probably, of you becoming a monk at any point. Probably, yeah. That's <laughs> probably a good bet. <laughs> um, I want to, if we can, take one more minute or so, only yeah. because we didn't really touch on it, to get to the other part of what Arianna Huffington was saying. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with her point, and that scientists should not be divided on this because all the psychological and neuroscience work shows there are differences between the brains of men and women and the patterns of behavior of men and women. And in fact, I was just talking to a female colleague recently, and we were talking about, you know, what, what really have women brought to the table? There, there are more right. women. There's not, we're not 50% of the science faculty, for example, but, but there's definitely more. So what's, what's the big deal? What, what's, you know, what have we brought? We bring the intellectual capacity that was lost when women were not <laughs> allowed, but that's hard to measure. 
And my friend Christina said, well, you know, it's a very different meeting, a very different scientific conversation when women are involved. And I have to say, I totally agree with her. How so? It's, it's more inclusive. It's not so, dare I say it, dictatorial. And certainly scientific meetings and, and, and review board panel meetings, I've actually been told by the people that run that, we like to make sure that there's women on the panel because it opens up the discussion more. It is a broader discussion where different sides get heard perhaps easier than when there are fewer women there. So there's definitely a style that we bring that's partially what Ariana was referring to. That's very interesting. I mean, I, I do know that about, you know, the findings around the way that women yeah. tend to collaborate mm -hmm. better than men do. At the same time, I wouldn't expect, you know, women to be above competition no, or no, professional jealousy or any of those things. Absolutely not. You can't always count on women support of other women and there's plenty of men that are incredibly supportive and and right. and more more supportive than some some women but again generally speaking right. um, there is a tendency for women to be more um, both collaborative and willing to view multiple sides before coming down on this is the way to do it not to say that after they kind of evaluate all those sides, they'll come down <laughs> right. to a decision. Right. But the process tends to be different. And so you know, more is possible in that yes. conversation. Yeah, it is. It's, um, it opens up for a different kind of collaboration. And again, it's a tendency. It's a tendency that we didn't appreciate before because there weren't enough women to show that until relatively recently. Wendy Suzuki, it has been so much fun talking to you. And your new book is Healthy Brain, Happy Life. Is there anything that you want to leave our audience with about it besides the fact that it's a great book? <laughs> I would say that it's really a um, friendly user's guide for the kind of neuroscience that you need to know to help maximize your brain's potential. OK, very cool. Let me. Now, Wendy, ask you to please oh, yeah. push the button on our random quote generator and read the quote of the week to our audience. Okay, the quote of the week is, it takes all sorts of in and outdoor schooling to get adapted to my kind of fooling, R. Frost. Okay, so Robert Frost says that, and we're gonna leave you, the audience, to spend the next half hour trying to figure out how that relates to what we discussed today. <laughs> okay, that's, <laughs> that's a good assignment. And that's Think Again for this week. You can find us on the web at bigthink.com forward slash think again and on Twitter at bigthinkagain. See you next week. <laughs>